The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell, Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. Before I get started, though, I want to um, just take a moment and acknowledge the life and contribution of the Reverend Dr. Mary Tumkin, who was the president of the Universal Foundation for Better Living and the pastor and senior minister of the Universal Truth Center in Miami. Um, I just want to just take a moment to acknowledge her massive contribution to the New Thought Movement, um, bringing a higher standard of biblical literacy, metaphysical Bible interpretation, preaching skills, focus, and energy. Um, Without a doubt, one of the best pure New Thought preachers who I have ever seen and a person who I would consider also a mentor, a spiritual mother, and who uh, helped develop and train me as a minister. Um, You know, I think the world of her and I bless her and her soul as it continues in God's eternal life, um, recognizing that without a doubt, without a doubt, she made an impact in life and the world is a better place because of her service. So I just wanted to just, just take a moment again, just to acknowledge a great woman of God 
and all that she has been to the Universal Foundation for Better Living, the Johnny Coleman Theological Seminary, the Johnny Coleman Institute, the Universal Truth Center. For a year and a half, she was the interim senior minister at Christ Universal Temple. She uh, was a fellow at the, the West Star Institute, where the Jesus Seminar, the biblical scholars reside and talk about Jesus stuff, <laughs> uh, and on and on and on. Of um, board member of the International New Thought Alliance, district president of the uh, uh, of the district presidents in INTA. I could just go on and on. She definitely was a giant in New Thought. God bless her. Her memorial service is tomorrow, and for people who would like to see it, um, I'll post a link on my Truth Transforms uh, Facebook page. If you want to watch it, it'll be um, at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. And at Christ Universal Temple, we'll be broadcasting the service live on uh, in our main chapel. So if you're in the Chicagoland area and you just want to come in and worship with the community, you can do that as well. Now, um, today we're continuing the program on the book Discover the Power Within You by Eric Butterworth. And it's a really important chapter. Um, the chapter today, chapter 15, In Defense of Judas, is a really interesting chapter because as I was reading it, it made me go into some different um, um, uh, avenues that I didn't intend to go into. So today's lesson will be a little bit different than the ones you're used to because it made me do some research and the research pulled up some things out of my memory that I think would be good to share as we talk about this subject matter. Um, if you don't have the book, as I've stated before, make sure you get the book, Discover the Power Within You, and read along with the chapters. We're almost finished with the book now. We don't have that far to go. But I want to make sure that since all of these shows are, are um, available on podcast, you can download all of them. You can go back and follow along with the book, and, and hopefully the material will give you some insight. In Defense of Judas um, is a really interesting chapter because um, – Eric Butterworth is basically trying to give the argument that um, how we view life based upon solely on the death and the cross experience of Jesus before we get to the resurrection puts uh, um, uh, um, undue, undue emphasis on Judas Iscariot. And he talks about, you know, um, maybe some of the reasons why Judas did what he did. And uh, obviously, for those who are familiar with the story, Jesus in the Jesus narrative in the Gospels, Judas is the person who is um, portrayed as betraying Jesus to the authorities that led to his crucifixion. The problem comes into play is that for traditional Christians who believe in that theory, the problem is this. If you really believe that Jesus had to die in the first place for people's sins, then Judas, what G Judas did was necessary. But if you look at it from a higher level of consciousness, then we might take a look at it as as an aspect of he he was a free will being. 
when he was doing what he understood to do as Jesus was doing what he understood to do. Then there's people who obviously from a more uh, traditional fundamentalist standpoint um, believe that obviously that it was evil influences or Satan or devil that made Judas do what he did. My angle is going to be different. And then I'm going to go into the metaphysics after I give my initial angle. My angle is this. Uh, and it's based upon one statement I want to read, and then I'm going to get into my angle. This is on page 191. It says, the Christian cross is a story half told. Paul said, you see in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away, which is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10. When we see the whole life of Jesus, which includes the empty tomb of Easter morning, the agonizing scene of Golgotha will be done away and the cross will be done away. The cross has become a symbol of depraved man, vindictive God and unjust punishment. Where is there anything of divine in this story or anything worthy of our worship or emulation? Using the cross as the symbol of Christianity is the denial of the central theme of Jesus's teaching, the divinity of man. That's the that's the paragraph that I want to tackle in this chapter initially. And we're going to spend a little time with it. First of all, talking about Judas, and then we're going to deal with the cross and the divinity of man. When I did some research on Judas and how the resurrection of Jesus originally was taught, if you read the Bible chronologically, not based upon how it is in the Bible, but actually based upon the dates, the first story of the resurrection and how it was interpreted was actually given by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in verse 3, he states that, uh, for I handed on to you as of first importance, which I in turn had received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, to, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, I can undress that die for the sin thing because in Aramaic and and in Hebrew cultures, when you start talking about Hebrew and Aramaic and you start translating words from Aramaic and Hebrew to Greek and et cetera, words for means like on account of. Like people could say Martin Luther King died because of the sins of the people or for or on account of. But I but that's not the argument I want to give right now because that's really not my emphasis. I want what I want you to pay attention to in that scripture is verse five when he says then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So according to according to the apostle Paul, Jesus originally appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Notice he did not say the eleven, the twelve. So in the original narrative and Paul's understanding, you never see, and Paul is the original writer of the New Testament, any concept of, of uh, one of Jesus' inner circle betraying him. 
that is never taught that's introduced briefly in mark and then it is evolved in matthew evolved in luke evolved in the book of john so according to the original tradition which none of the gospels uh, agree with that the, the first person that jesus appeared to was peter not mary magdalene not um as it's, if you read the different stories, walking to the people in Emmaus and all these other different stories that are found in the different gospel writings, the very first person to see Jesus was Peter, then the 12. All right. That's one level of it. Now, there are some people in scholarship who question if the how we have what is now known as the character Judas is um, a, to borrow a Jewish term, midrashic, which means an interpretation of older stories and made into, and to make up or create a character in the gospel narratives to symbolize something larger or bigger. In the book, Liberating the Gospels by John Shelby Spong, he has a whole chapter called Judas Iscariot, a Christian invention, question mark. Now, he doesn't say one way or another if this is legitimate or not, far as we can't say one way or another. But he, but I would suggest if you want to do some extra studying that you look at this. It's a couple of the reasons why he uses the argument. One, the original Christian um, argument was uh, or, or issues were with Jewish Christians and Jewish people who did not believe in the this new movement now called Christianity. So what ended up happening is you have a lot of language in the Bible, especially in like Gospel of John, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. But it was Jewish people that were writing this. But it was infighting between a race that was viewing their religion differently because these Christians viewed their religion through the teachings and through the example and their understanding of Jesus as opposed to just the law and the prophets as the more traditional Jewish people did. So Judas is a Greek way of saying Judah. And Judah would, is where we get the word Jew from. So actually, by saying that Judas betrayed Jesus, you're actually saying Judah betrayed Jesus. Symbolically talking about pe Jewish people who do not believe in Jesus. Now, again, people have taken this now and created later all types of anti-Semitism and things of that nature. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about putting it in the first century context. Now, it was a couple of things that he mentioned in the book. Uh, one of the things that I want to read, which is on page two, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, that the word Iscariot comes from a root word in Hebrew that one of the ways it can be interpreted is political assassin. But anyway, I'll let you work with that yourself. You can get the book Liberating the Gospels by John Shelby Spong, and you can read just this chapter. But on page 267, he gives some examples of how the story of Judas, and the whole chapter basically shows how 
different parts of the story of Judas is, could be actually viewed from different parts of the Old Testament. He says in Zechariah, for example, we find the reference to the specific price that Matthew employed in his betrayal story. Story, This prophetic writer has told us about the betrayal of the shepherd king of the Jews for 30 pieces of silver, which is in Zechariah 11.13. The silver was later hurled back into the temple treasury, which was the same theme that Matthew said also occurred with the Judas money when Judas repented. Matthew said that Judas then went and hanged himself. This story also had echoes that point us to the Jewish past. Suicide was rare indeed in Jewish circles, but there was one story concerning a man named Ahithophel, who betrayed King David and had given his loyalty to a rebel cause. When that cause failed, Ahithophel fell, excuse me, was said to have gone out and hanged himself. King David, like all the kings of the Jews, was called the Lord's anointed. As we have previously noted, the Hebrew word for anointed is the same word that can be translated Messiah or Christ. So later, Jewish Christians reading this ancient tale would note that Ahithophel betrayed the Lord's anointed. He went and hanged himself, 2 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 23. It begins to sound very much like the Judas story. And he gives example after example after example in this chapter about the possibility that either this role was in, was created for the gospel narrative to give light and understanding to Jesus' story or that this person was might have been a baseline person who this narrative that was created around him was actually based upon Old Testament writings reinterpreted and placed into the New Testament. And that's a larger argument about why that's done in this book is that basically shows how that's done. It's called Midrash. But again, you can read that on your own. So what we do know about Judas is this. According to the book of Matthew, um, after he betrayed Jesus and he threw the money back in the temple, he went and hung himself. According to the book of Acts, he fell and his bowels, he basically died and his bowels all spilled out. So according to two totally different stories, book of Matthew, he hung himself. In the book of Acts, he takes the money to buy a field. And they say basically his punishment for betraying Jesus was he had an accident. He fell, hit his head and his died and his bowels all spilled out. You can read it yourself. It's in the book of Acts. So, so, they're not even the biblical narrative is not even consistent on how Jesus died and how he responded after Jesus's death. In Matthew, he's totally like, oh, my God, what did I do? I didn't think that this was going to happen. I was just trying to get him to basically release his power and show people who he is. And in the book of Acts, he's basically, which is a continuation of Luke. He's just like, I got my money. I'm buying my field. Oops, I tripped. I hit my head and I died. And my bowel spilled all out. Basically, that's the narrative. So we're going to go into the part two of this now on after this first break, which will be about kingdom or the cross. What is the story? And how does this fit into the uh, in defense of Judas narrative? We're going to be right back with truth transforms. 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Are we nearing the end of the world? Reading the book of Revelation, you might think so, and it doesn't end well. But is it possible that the Bible's darkest story is a positive tale? Author Ed Townley, host of the Unity Online radio show, The Bible Alive, thinks so. A Bible enthusiast, Townley focuses on the metaphysical meanings rather than the literal text. In Kingdom Come, new from Unity Books, Townley takes a fresh approach to Revelation. The kingdom, Townley explains, doesn't await us in the afterlife. It's ours to experience today, as we learn to find the good even in our darkest challenges. Explore Revelation in a new light. Order the book Kingdom Come online today at unitybooks.org. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. We're going through the series Discover the Power Within You by Eric Butterworth, and we're doing the chapter in defense of Judas. Now, if you heard the first part of this, obviously, I just gave some argument about how Judas is interpreted in the Bible and uh, some inconsistencies. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I was trying to wrap your brain around was that what we understand about the Judas narrative is inconsistent biblically and it evolves as the gospels um as as the, the first century goes further and Mark is very little and then in Matthew it's expanded and Lucas expanded and John is expanded and the expansions are not based upon um what's the word I want to use first hand accounts they're based upon the interpretation of the scriptures uh, that the Jewish people understood, and they wrote it into the narrative. What what we have to realize when we're reading the Gospels is that they're faith portraits. They're not biographies, and therefore you can have sayings and teachings of Jesus that the Gospel writers created narratives around. But anyway, um, moving on. 
So the second part of this, I'm teaching this in phases and I'm going to get to the metaphysics, but I just want you all to just get a handle on what I'm doing. In the book, as I stated before, he makes a statement about, um, and I'm going to read it, read it again. The Christian cross is a story half told. Paul said, you see in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. First Corinthians chapter 13, 10. This is on page 192 I'm reading now. When we see the whole life of Jesus, which includes the empty tomb of Easter morning, the agonized scene of Golgotha will be done away. When the cross will be done away. The cross has become a symbol of the depraved man, vindictive gods, and unjust punishment. Where is there anything of the divine in this story or anything worthy of our worship or emulation? Using the cross as the symbol of Christianity is the denial of the central theme of Jesus' teaching, the divinity of man. Now, Eric Butterworth, in my opinion, is using the term the divinity of man as a reference to how Jesus used um, the term the kingdom of God. If anybody, if you ask any Bible scholar worth his salt, they'll tell you that Jesus taught the kingdom of God. Um, I want to, if you go to the uh, gospel of Mark and you read the first chapter, first, excuse me, verse one, excuse me, chapter one, verses 14 and 15, it'll read. Now, after John was arrested, John is John the Baptist. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Aramaic Bible scholar Rocco Errico translates it this way from Aramaic. He says, now, after John had been arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, declaring the joyful expectation of God's sovereign presence. He was saying, the time is right. God's reigning presence is here. Turn to God and have confidence in this joyful message. This I'm reading from And There Was Light by Rocco Errico. And this is page 36. And then he goes on to say the term kingdom may be difficult for modern readers to relate to. Malkutha, literally kingdom, comes from the Aramaic word. And he gives the M-L-K-H. It means to counsel, advise, reign, and rule. A king, Malka in Aramaic, also means a counselor. And so then he goes on and explains uh, that Jesus's message was God's sovereign, sovereign and active presence arriving in the world. He had a vision of God that went beyond the religious limits of his day. He could perceive God as working among people, moving in and through their daily routine living. And then he goes on and explains. And I love this on page 38. Jesus had a grasp of divine principles that brought life and healing to the ills of his people. His message was not about fear, threat, or sacrificial blood for the forgiveness or cleansing of sin. His gospel of the kingdom was about love, compassion, forgiveness, all-inclusiveness, and God's active presence with and among all races. This was Jesus's vision of God and his joyful message. So we know that Jesus's message was and is the kingdom of God. Now, he also states in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, that the kingdom of God is within you or the kingdom of God is in the midst of you or the kingdom of God is among you, meaning that it's not something that's outside of us. It's a present state of being now. 
this is talking about this inner divinity that we have that that new thought always is talking about that the presence and power of God works in you through you as you. So how did the message of the kingdom of God, which was without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus's teaching end up being the message of the cross, which then emphasizes the betrayal of Judas and the misunderstanding of the disciples and this emphasis on the sacrificial blood of Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. So Rocco gives, um, first of all, an explanation of the cross that I think is really important. And then I'm going to say some other stuff about it. This is again from, from uh, And There Was Light by Rocco Errico. He's, he, um, he's, he gives a narrative about uh what happened during that process of Jesus being resurrected and uh, after he was actually buried. And he said on page 140, soon these disciples were to awaken to a revelation of a life that will forever transform them. They were soon to know the power and victory of the cross. They were to learn that no grave could hold the living Christ. His body was to be the first fruit of the resurrection that would awaken humankind to the realization of life eternal. The consciousness of humanity would now transcend its earthly boundaries and encompass a complete and limitless heavenly order of life. Now, listen to this. This is key. The symbol of the cross that had always been the symbol of finality and total annihilation was to become the symbol of life and glory. The cross was to be known as the way of enlightenment and non and nonviolent way of life. Jesus's teaching brought him to the Christ cross. He had impressed on the minds of his disciples the fact that death would not be the end of his mission, but the beginning of a new spiritual era, the inauguration of a heavenly order. So let me tie that into a bow. What? Rocco is basically saying is this through the cross experience, them seeing their teacher, their leader, this person who they had all of these hopes and messianic aspirations in and with an end was tried and murdered as a basically a, a, a terrorist to the state because the cross was was a means of punishment for enemies of the state of Rome. The symbol that was considered death, because remember, he wasn't the only person. They used to crucify and have hundreds and thousands of people on crosses at the same time. So it was a symbol of fear. It was an intimidation symbol. It was a symbol of of dread. It was a symbol of the might and power of Rome. That if you went against the might and power of Rome, this was the end result for you and anybody that you loved. And that symbol of Jesus for them awakened them because they didn't have the physical Jesus to lean on, the physical Jesus to rely on, the physical Jesus to listen to. That symbol of death and finality for them became the avenue through which they 
then were able to tap into a different level of awareness to realize that that symbol was not the end of the life and mission of Jesus, that his spiritual teaching and presence transcended that experience. And what we call resurrection was not a one, two, three day experience or 40 day experience. It was the evolution in the souls of his disciples who had a new understanding and paradigm and context of Jesus, God, spirituality and themselves. So for them, the symbol of despair became the avenue through which they could understand the kingdom of God. Because before then, it was just relying and leaning on Jesus. So, how did the symbol of the cross end up being the symbol of Christianity? It's not, it's our interpretation of it that's lacking today. But for these early Christians, by teaching it that way they were using a symbol that was used for fear and dread and power by the Roman Empire to be a symbol of love and forgiveness and peace and power of God by saying and by using the term the kingdom of God he's saying that God is reigns God is the sovereign ruler God is the power and not Caesar, not Rome, not the Jewish authorities, not the religious rules, not the priests, not the temple, not any of the things that people put in outwardly by using kingdom terminology and using the the cross, which was the symbol that was being used over the whole Roman Empire to 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 strike fear in the hearts of people was now being used as a symbol that brought hope to people. So that's how the symbol, in my humble opinion, potentially could have been used. They took something that was used improperly, flipped the script on it, and then it became a symbol of hope. Now, because they were Jewish people, they leaned on their own understanding of what God meant people like the Apostle Paul and some of the others. Uh, and Paul was liberal for a Jew. Very liberal, actually. They leaned on what they knew, which was their sacrificial understanding of God. And they reinterpreted Jesus in the light of their sacrificial system. That doesn't mean that's what Jesus taught about Jesus. But this is how these people, when they went into their scriptures in search of meaning, why did this prophet, why did this potential Messiah figure, why did this teacher, why did this healer die a criminal's death? So they went into looking at the suffering servant. They looked and saw some of these different aspects of, of what they thought it meant the Messiah was supposed to go through, etc. And they interpreted Jesus in the light of things like the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the uh, the you know with the sacrificial lambs and the scapegoats and things of that nature. These were things that were interpreted after Jesus's death and placed on him as meaning. But don't miss the initial dynamic. The original, in my opinion, from the research that I've done, the original concept of understanding why they used the cross was because it was the means to which they 
were forced to deal with their realization of what Jesus was really teaching them. So, so it became a symbol as an entry into this kingdom of God understanding. So when, 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 when Paul was going around teaching Christ crucified, quote unquote, et cetera, et cetera, does not mean it's based upon the interpretation that we give it now with original sin and because Adam and Eve ate the fruit and, you know, all of humanity is sinful forever. Now, some of that is on Paul, but it's also the interpretation of it, especially from people like St. Augustine, which I'm not going to get into, who put the strong emphasis on sin and sexuality and original sin and all of that type of stuff. That's our interpretation of it. But if you can catch what Rocco said, and I'm going to read it again from page 140. The symbol of the cross that had always been the symbol of finality and total annihilation was to become the symbol of life and glory. The cross was to be known as the way of enlightenment and nonviolent way of life. Jesus' teaching brought him to the cross. In other words, Jesus knew that if he taught what he taught and did what he did, it could end up where it ended up. That was Jesus's consciousness. He understood that that was a possibility, but he was okay with his stand at the same way that Martin Luther King understood that what he taught could end up in his death. Martin Luther King understood, and I'm using him as a modern example, not saying that they're equal or anything of that nature. Who am I to say any of that? Only thing I'm saying is Martin Luther King understood that the way of his mission for the civil rights movement would could and would end up in his potential death but that didn't stop him from being the stand that he was and his message and movement lives beyond his physical life moving on it says he had impressed on the minds of his disciples that the fact that death would not be the end of his mission, but the beginning of a new spiritual era, the inauguration of a heavenly order. So I'm not saying that the cross should be the symbol of anything or not. What I'm saying is understand how it originally was being utilized as a symbol as entry into the kingdom. Because for his early disciples, what was real to them was Jesus dying. If you've ever been through a traumatic experience with loved ones where maybe someone makes their transition or some type of traumatic experience, sometimes it makes you go so deeply within yourself that the gift that you receive by going through those tough, life-wrenching, teeth-rattling experiences is that you find a new level of yourself, a new peace, a new understanding, a new power, a new wisdom, a new understanding, new consciousness paradigm shift totally new context and for them those early disciples the peters the johns the james and the others what they got out of that experience was a new way of being because the cross made them go into themselves and really discover what jesus was talking about it makes us think. Now, just a quick reminder, because the last part of this show is strictly going to be on the metaphysics of Judas, because I've laid a context out that I wanted to lay out in a bigger picture. 
because I'm not dealing with all of this. It was Judas this and Judas that in this book? Because that's, in my opinion, is conjecture. We don't know. But I want to give you something in the last part of this that you can work with and, and help your own life. Remember, by the way, that this show is supported by your love offerings and donations. So please make sure you go on Unity and do that. And don't forget, I have a Facebook page, Reverend uh, True Transforms of Reverend Galen McDowell. Go on, like it, leave me messages and all the other stuff, and I'll make sure I respond. So let's take our last break and we'll be right back with Truth Transformed. Now and then, life is challenging. I may not welcome challenge itself, but I welcome the opportunity to learn from whatever arises, to grow in understanding, to flex my spiritual muscles. Every day is a new day, a fresh start. No situation or circumstance can hold me back. My life is not only about what's happening to me, it's also what's happening through me. The Christ within is my source of unlimited wisdom and creativity. I do my best when I respond to any challenge from my Christ nature, rather than reacting impulsively from my human nature. Every day I pursue what enriches me, enjoying the journey to my goals as much as the destination. This inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word. Inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give Daily Word to yourself or a friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. I will leave this world as it is. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. You've been listening to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. If you have questions or comments about today's program, or if you'd like to join in on the discussion, email us at truthtransforms at unity.fm. Now back to Truth Transforms. All right, welcome back to Truth Transforms. We're in the process of uh, going through the chapter in defense of Judas by and discover the power within you. And basically, I've given one and during the first part of the show uh, an example examples of how Judas um, potentially can be viewed in the gospel narratives, either as um, someone who has um, had narratives created and expanded about him or, or potentially even a creation of the narrative. 
Uh, the second part was explaining the kingdom of the cross, which is really not the kingdom of the cross. It's really the kingdom and the cross from the standpoint of you can accept Jesus's teaching. And this is the premise of new thought that the teaching is just the kingdom of God or as he's calling in the book of divinity of man. What I tried to give you all was an understanding of how the t- kingdom message of Jesus evolved into the cross message. But originally not how it's interpreted today. The last part I want to deal with is on the metaphysics of it. And this is important as well. Judas metaphysically represents um, generative life. Um, And in the concept of uh, metaphysical Bible interpretation as interpreted by the co-founders of Unity, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, um, the life faculty is closely associated with uh, sexual functions, uh, generative life. And because they believed that the sensations and sexual energy that people have at times can be the energy that sometimes pulls you away from logic, pulls you away from um, <laughs> uh your sensations and appetites can pull you away from necessarily following your higher wisdom. Let's put it that way. Um, I think at times they overemphasized it. Um, and, you know, and when I teach the 12 powers next year, I'm going to address and just deal with the Judas from the standpoint of the metaphysics and how that works in consciousness and body and in great detail. But what I want to deal with from the standpoint of it is this, if Judas represents life, in us, this aspect of life still has to be work with release, forgiven, redeemed or whatever means that this aspect of our sensations and appetites and sexual energies and et cetera still need to follow under the guidance of the Christ. Anything that's an aspect of us is not to be eliminated necessarily always, but sometimes redefined and sometimes disciplined in the aspect of making sure that it follows our um, own inner directions. At a higher level, Judas also represents the aspect of us that continually thinks, feels, and believes things outside of what is actually true about ourselves spiritually. God as spirit in us is perfect, whole, and complete. But our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs, our concepts, our ideologies, our biases, our prejudices many times betray the truth of who we really are. We have to be mindful that in all things, we play the Judas every day. We play the Judas every day because we play The role of people, excuse me, of not thinking in alignment with who we really are. We have to be mindful of that. We have to be mindful that every time we think of ourselves in lack, every time we think about ourselves as just a person who is not empowered um, to actually live life as God created us to live, you know, we are betraying the Christ. 
You know, we need to be mindful of that. Think about it. How often do you think less of yourself? How often do you think of things that are of what you think you don't have, what you're missing, et cetera, et cetera? How often do you think out of alignment with the truth about who God is in you? That's the Judas. We redeem that through the process of forgiveness, and we have to release those type of thoughts. Those type of thoughts, those type of beliefs, those type of concepts must be hung in the sense of it needs to be eliminated. And in the metaphysical interpretation, the disciples ended up bringing another person in named Matthias, who whose name means given holy unto Yahweh or to the Lord to symbolize a higher understanding of the life faculty in our bodies, in our minds, in, in our souls. So here's the key. Judas in you is at functioning at two levels. One of it is the sensations, the appetites, the sexual energy, the, 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 and the sexual energy is a part of it, but it's also physical sensation activity because that's life. But this is the same energy that heals, that strengthens your body, that gives you the vitality and vigor to go forward. And when you understand how to make it work properly, it then feeds and, re- and, and heals and transforms your mind and body. At the same level, this Judas concept of being the thoughts and the beliefs and the concepts and the ideologies and prejudices that interfere with the proper flow of that life activity in your body needs to be eliminated and hung. So the author says on page 197, John Ruskin once said that the sin of the world is essentially the sins of Judas and that men do not disbelieve in the Christ, but they sell him. There's something of Judas in you and me, and it is a very real influence in our lives. We believe in the things of spirit, but we desire the things of the flesh. Though we are all divine in potential, yet we often act the part of humanity. We frustrate our potentialities. We conceal our innate goodness. Thus, we betray the Christ for the gratification of human desires. As the poet says, soul root of sin in thee is not to know thy divinity. From a metaphysical point of view, there is rich meaning in the crucifixion story. The whole gospel account is a story within a story. And he goes on to say, talking about Judas and etc. He says in the, in the bottom paragraph, and this is key. Jesus made no effort to defeat the act of Judas, for he knew that the sense consciousness is not to be destroyed. It must destroy itself. This must take place before the soul can make its demonstration of eternal life. Judas, along with all the disciples, was a part of the consciousness of Jesus. That's key. There was in that there was that in Jesus, the human self, the ego, the personal, the material centered seen in the wilderness experience that had to be crossed out completely. 
Jesus had to let had to go to the cross to prove his freedom from the sense man and Judas, the ego, had to destroy himself so the full demonstration of eternal life could manifest. To the mind familiar with the language of mysticism, this is an absolute essential sequence of events. So this is saying at a higher level that in Jesus, this represented something that needed to be eradicated and eliminated. So from a metaphysical standpoint, Judas is absolutely necessary because he symbolizes that which in us, which at times holds us back from the full demonstration of the Christ because we're attached to our personalities and the sensations and wants of it. And it must hang itself. But because it's a part of us, ha. Huh? Until we're ready to deal with it, it travels with us. Even while we're doing our great work, even while we're doing the things that we do, the ego is still there. The personality is still there. The, 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 the human ambitions and wants and desires over that which his spirit is trying to express through you is still there. Still there. And we need to be mindful of that. That it was still there. And Jesus had to allow that process to play out outwardly because that was the process that was playing out inwardly. And as we go through things, sometimes we think we're going through crucifixion and cross experiences. What outwardly might seem is, though, oh, my God, this is horrible. This is terrible. This is things. Something's happening that I, I just can't go through. I can't believe I'm, this is happening to me. It's actually the letting go, the wrenching away, the tearing away of an aspect of the of the soul that needs to be uh, eradicated. So the full demonstration of who we are can come forward. That's the that's the part of it that we have to realize that all of us have to go to the cross, the crucifixion of our own minds. Where we cross out the error thoughts, the error beliefs, the error concepts, the ideologies and the whatever, because the old way of thinking, the old way of being, the old way of feeling, the old way of everything has to die, crossed out out so the Christ in us as us can resurrect that which is true in us resurrect our health resurrect our peace resurrect our prosperity resurrect our joy resurrect our harmony resurrect our goals resurrect 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 Resurrection is the lifting up of mind and body to its original perfection in God. So the Judas process is a process that every soul is going to go through. If you're not going through it now and multiple times until you deal with the the one when we really let go of what this human personality means and really understand what it means to be. God and expression. There's no other way for me to say that. So with that, we're going to end there. Next week, we're going to talk about the resurrection, the chapter on the great demonstration. So make sure you're ready to rumble on that because we got to get into it. So God bless you all. Don't forget that this show is supported by your love offerings and donations. Also remember that uh, Christ Universal Temple streams its services live, so you can go to www.cutemple.org and watch the live streams of Reverend Wells preaching on Sunday, 10.30 a.m. to 12 
p.m. God bless you and I'll be with you next week. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Repeat the words, God is taking care of it. And it will become clear that you are the channel and that God is the doer of good works through you. This meditative moment adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through is brought to you by Unity. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. 
Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.